Good morning, and welcome to our January Corn and Soybean Outlook webinar. Uh, I'm Nathan Thompson, and joining me today are Dr. Michael Langemeyer, uh, Professor and Associate Director in the Center for Commercial Agriculture, and Dr. Jim Minert, who's the Director of the Center for Commercial Agriculture. Uh, so today's webinar, we're going to discuss um, the USDA's crop production and World Ag Supply Demand Estimate reports that were released on January 12th. And so, Jim, do you want to kick us off and talk a little bit about what happened on the corn side? Yeah, so thanks, Nathan. So there were some changes, but there really weren't any huge changes. They did raise corn production from the 2021 crop year up a little bit, up to 15.115 billion bushels, up from 15.062. There was no change in the yield estimate, but they did raise the harvested acreage, 300,000 acres. That's how the corn production increase came about. They did forecast a little larger, little larger usage of uh, corn for ethanol production. They boosted that by 75 million bushels to 5.325 billion bushels. That's up from 5.25. But at the same time, they reduced the export forecast by 75 million bushels down to 2.425 billion bushels. That's down from 2.5 billion bushels last month. Um, as a result, you put all that together. The corn ending stocks estimate increased by about 47 million bushels to 1.54 billion bushels, up from 1.493 last month. If you look at the uh, corn production estimate and compare it to industry expectations, it was towards the high end of what the industry was expecting, but certainly within the range of expectations. So no big shock there. It was just a little bit larger than maybe the average trade guess. And as you look at uh, what's taking place on the export side, that was maybe a little bit of a surprise that they reduced the export uh, forecast for the 21 marketing year. This takes a look at corn market, current marketing year uh, corn export commitments, both shipments and commitments for the current marketing year. And it compares China to um, exports to China versus all destinations. And you can see that the uh, exports are lagging, <laughs> excuse me, about 9% below last year's pace. Um, commitments to China, however, just slightly larger than last year. So a little bit of a surprise that they were uh, maybe a touch aggressive in terms of reducing that export forecast, particularly in light of what's taking place in South America with possible yield reductions down there. So it remains to be seen how that's going to shake out. But I think the trade was a little bit surprised by that. Um, the ethanol forecast up by 75 million bushels, as I indicated a minute ago. <coughs> the real question there is, Will it go up again? Um, that increase was much needed based on usage that's taken place so far. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and if you look at usage so far, I wouldn't be surprised to see that go up again. So if you look at what's taken place with respect to weekly ethanol production, uh, those numbers have backed off a little bit recently. <coughs> Excuse me. But they're holding up pretty well compared to the pre-pandemic era. Um, and that suggests that maybe those, ex those uh, ethanol production numbers could be just a little bit conservative. So it would not be surprising to see that go up again uh, next month. If you look at the margins, <coughs> excuse me, the margins have come down pretty sharply, but they're still positive and positive enough to, uh, to probably support continued growth in, in export uh, in ethanol production. Okay, so. If you look at the ending stocks number, <clears throat> up just fractionally compared to last month at 10.4%. I think last month there was about 10.1. And the really key to the ending stocks as a percentage of usage going forward, it's going to be what happens to ethanol and exports. Uh, ethanol is going to depend on the margins here in the U.S. Exports are going to depend, I think, pretty heavily on what takes place in South America the rest of the winter. If you look at the world stocks to use ratios, no real change in the world stocks. But again, I think that could change going forward, depending on how the weather plays out in South America. But let's just take a look at the numbers for South America. So if you look at Brazil's uh, corn production estimate coming from USDA, they did reduce the forecast uh, for corn production in Brazil by about 120 million bushels compared to last month. Um, one of the things I guess I wanted to show with this chart, though, is if you look at it from a longer-term perspective, um, you know, if you go back 10 or 15 years ago, we really didn't worry too much about corn production in Brazil. 
And you can see on the chart how they have become a major player with respect to corn production, particularly in recent years. Um, so it's going to be very critical what takes place with respect to weather down there um, going forward. And so we've had, I, I suspect many of our viewers have been paying attention to some of the South American weather forecasts. They've been changing rapidly on both sides, in some cases, uh, forecasting drier conditions, and, and most recently, here's forecasting uh, an improvement in weather conditions in South America. But the key is, it's going to take a while to, for this to play out, and one-day weather forecasts are really not going to determine what takes place there. It's really going to be more of a, a longer-term uh, trend, and of course, they've had some impact already with respect to yields. Um, so I guess, if, from my perspective, I think what USDA did on this report was fairly aggressive in terms of pulling back production estimates for Brazil and, and also Argentina. If you look at the Argentine numbers, I think they were down, oh, maybe about a, a, around 100 million bushels, I think. So <clears throat> the key on both of them, though, is what's going to take place going forward. Uh, we're entering a critical period for both Brazil and Argentina with respect to corn and soybean production. And it's going to be very dependent on how weather plays out. Uh, Argentine uh, weather conditions this week were extremely hot. Uh, they're forecast to cool off very soon and get some much needed moisture down there. So it remains to be seen what takes place. And of course, the Argentine corn crop planting season is spread out quite a bit. Um, the impact on the hot, from the hot weather this week is largely on the early planting corn, uh, early planted corn, which is about 30 to maybe 35 percent of the Argentine corn crop. So that remains to be seen how that's going to shake out. Nathan, I know you've been looking at uh, storage opportunities and forward contract bids for corn. Let's take a look at that. Yeah, so, uh, you know, we saw a little bit of a, a mixed reaction from markets to yesterday's reports. Uh, and so I want to take a little bit of a look at kind of, you know, what opportunities we have uh, for merchandising some grain that we maybe have in storage kind of throughout the rest of the crop marketing year. Mm -hmm. So here I'm just looking at uh, some current forward contract bids for corn uh, at a, a local um, elevator here in central Indiana uh, and comparing those with some kind of implied break-even prices that include basically, you know, if you're going to forego a sale today, uh, you know, what would you need to sell that grain for at some point in the future to cover your storage and opportunity costs? So the, uh, the, the darker brown line that runs across the bottom there is the current cash bid. So you can see for delivery today, you know, we're looking at a cash bid of $5.83. Uh, as we look out into, say, April, that, that cash bid's around $5.87. And so we really don't see much uh, of a, a, a appreciation or an increase in those prices as we look further out into the crop marketing year. And there's really two things driving that. One is we have very little to no carry in, in corn futures markets right now uh, if, as we look over kind of the remainder of this crop marketing year. And in the, the bids that I have here, there's also very little appreciation in basis in those bids, meaning the basis they're bidding today is, is essentially the same basis that are um, kind of Im embedded in those cash bids, kind of looking over the next several months here. So given those two things, the lack of carry and a lack of basis appreciation, obviously those bids come in under what you would need to sell grain for to cover um, uh, storage costs if you were going to store that grain here over the next several months. And I've got kind of two scenarios there. Uh, the gray line that kind of runs in the middle is um, for an on-farm storage scenario. So I've just assumed one cent per bushel per month for on-farm storage and then a 6% APR for the opportunity costs associated with not having that cash uh, available for, for other things today. Uh, so you can see, right, if you were going to forego a $5.83 uh, cent cash price today in an on-farm scenario, at least based on my assumptions, you know, you'd need to be selling corn for nearly six dollars um, just to cover your, your storage and opportunity costs uh, if you were going to make a sale in April. Uh, alternatively, right, I have a, a kind of commercial storage scenario as well, where I'm assuming four cent per bushel per month in, in uh, commercial storage costs, the same six percent uh, APR for opportunity costs. And again, you can see that if you're going to forego that five dollar and eighty three cent price today, uh, you need to be selling corn for more than six dollars. Uh, as we get out into April. So really just as you're thinking about grain that, that you do have in storage right now uh, and you're thinking about what, what strategies you want to use and kind of what you're looking to get out of that grain, you know, do some sort of back of the envelope math to think about, you know, am I really willing to kind of uh, pass up uh, current prices, which are, are very profitable, uh, in order to kind of wait and see what's going to happen 
uh, with prices as we look over the next couple of months. And again, with the right strategies, there are definitely opportunities to still earn some storage returns. But based on these forward cash contract bids, uh, you know, those as we sit today would probably not be the direction you'd want to go to generate those returns. Uh, kind of looking a little deeper at what's going on here in terms of these cash bids, one component of that is basis. And so just looking at what's going on with corn basis, here I'm looking at corn basis in central Indiana. The, the blue line is the three-year historical average, so the historical basis averaged together for the last three years. And the black line is what's happening in the current crop marketing year, so starting in September of, of 21 through uh, this morning. And so what you can see there is that um, you know, we started off with strong basis levels that had to do with um, uh, coming out of a really strong basis summer with the last crop marketing year. That declined pretty quickly and kind of came into line with that historical average and really has been tracking right along uh, the pattern for that historical uh, corn basis pattern in central Indiana and that's kind of where we are. So you could think about using the information in the chart to forecast a little bit of where we think basis might be going over the next um, several months as we complete the 21-22 the crop marketing year. Uh, taking a slightly different look, so uh, looking at uh, basis in southwest Indiana, uh, which is a little more influenced by the river market and potentially uh, maybe what's going on with exports, we can see that uh, at the beginning of the crop marketing year, that southwest Indiana uh, corn basis was really below that historical three-year average. At the end of the year, at the end of 21, uh, we saw some appreciation in basis down there in southwest Indiana, really catching up to that historical average. And since then, we've seen that kind of pull back uh, a little bit again. And that may reflect a little bit of what Jim uh, was talking about with, with corn exports. It's interesting to compare that, though, with uh, we, we've got a, a location in West Memphis, Arkansas, which is a, further, a little further down uh, the Mississippi River there. It may be more reflective um, uh, of what's going on on the export side. However, we've seen really strong appreciation in basis as that particular location, which I kind of just pay attention to to kind of get an idea of what might be going on there. Again, this appreciation probably is, is uh, not uh, consistent with what Jim was talking about on the export side of things. But again, remember, when we look at the crop basis tool, we're looking at uh, kind of a, a regional average, or you can almost think of it as an index of what's going on in basis levels. Here, when we look at one individual location, there's a lot of things that could be in play with what's influencing basis there. So, you know, I'm not going to speculate too much on what's going on here. I know, Jim, we talked earlier about the potential for kind of the, the overall dynamics of how the river works. And, uh, you know, uh, if we have higher or lower uh, river levels uh, further upstream, that could impact basis levels downstream as I try to pull in grain. Uh, from trucks as, as opposed to barges further upstream. So there's a lot of things that might be influencing this. I don't know if you had anything you wanted to add to that. Well, you know, uh, Nathan, I think the whole basis situation is kind of interesting. And we always talk about basis really reflecting local supply and demand conditions. And when I think about what's taking place, for example, in West Memphis versus what we're seeing in Indiana, uh, I think Michael's going to show a chart a little later that, that talks about uh, individual state level yields. And of course, we had very strong yields, very strong supply uh, factors in here in the Eastern Corn Belt, especially in Indiana. And I think that's maybe one of the reasons we're not seeing as much strength in basis um, here in Indiana, for example, as we are in maybe some other locations. Good point. So the other thing I want to take a look at here is ethanol plant basis. So this is uh, an average of all the uh, ethanol plants in the state of Indiana. Uh, there's kind of a lot going on here, and, and the reason I break it up is we've had some pretty exceptional years as it relates to basis patterns at, at ethanol plants in particular over the last several years. So again, just to quickly kind of orient you on what we're looking at. So there's a blue line that kind of runs through the middle there. That's the average basis from 2015 to 2017 at those uh, Indiana ethanol plants. Uh, I've kind of averaged those together as kind of the last three kind of what I'm going to call normal years, if anything can be considered normal anymore. Uh, the 2018-2019 the crop year you can see is the green line uh, has a big uh, bump in basis there as we get to the, the uh, summer of 19 that had to do with the, the wet planting conditions that we saw and the, the worry that we weren't able to get a lot of the crop in so we saw basis levels increase as there was uh, a need to, to kind of secure corn. Uh, obviously 2019-2020 uh, is the red line. We were running at kind of strong basis levels coming out of that um, 19 uh, 
planning situation, then we get to uh, the uh, early spring uh, in 2020, we have COVID hit, that has a huge impact on uh, gasoline demand and thus ethanol, uh, impacting ethanol plant basis. So we see this big dip in, in uh, 2019, or excuse me, in the, the in March of 2020. Uh, the purple line is then 2020, 2021, and again, we see this big run up in basis uh, there in the uh, spring of 2021. So then kind of pulling all of that information together and thinking about, okay, where are we today, right, in the 21, 22 crop marketing year relative to those historical years and what happened there. Again, we started off with really strong basis levels this year coming out of a, a strong uh, basis uh, situation this summer that, again, quickly aligned with... Um, with uh, the, these historical average and got us back down to uh, really close to that, that 2015 to 17 average. And again, we're tracking right along or kind of underneath that, maybe more similar to what we saw in, in 2020, 2021. Uh, you know, basis at these ethanol plants, Jim, has, has been pretty consistent uh, going back into December, uh, which is a little surprising based on what you showed uh, in terms of both the production levels as well as the margins that we've seen in ethanol plants. I don't know, to me it seems like maybe there's, from the export side of things, a little less competition for corn, uh, and maybe that's allowed them to keep those bids a little bit lower. Would you say that that's what's impacting these basis levels? Yeah, I mean, I, you're right. I, I think this is probably one of the more surprising charts we have in that the basis levels at these ethanol plants is not averaging higher than, than what it is shown on your chart. And clearly they've been able to get the corn. I mean, they, they bid as strongly as they have to to keep the corn moving because uh, the plants are pretty much operating either at or very close to capacity. So uh, that's that's probably been the one surprise for me with respect to basis that we haven't seen a little stronger basis, but as long as they're able to get the corn, uh, that's gonna be the situation. And again, I think it probably gets back to the fact that we have ample corn supplies here in the Eastern Corn Belt, especially in Indiana. So, um, as a result, uh, I'm not too optimistic that we're going to see a big jump in ethanol plant basis uh, here the remainder of the winter and early spring. Um, we'll only see that if, if the plants are having trouble uh, getting corn. And given the supply situation, maybe that's not going to happen this year. Yeah, I think I agree. Looking forward, I, I don't see a lot of uh, reasons to see a strong kind of appreciation and basis above maybe what we would normally see based on the normal patterns, uh, based on the kind of current situation. So the last thing here on the corn side that I wanted to close out with was just thinking a little bit about what some cash price opportunities are and really look at two timeframes. So one would be looking over the next several months as we kind of finish out the uh, 21-22 crop marketing year. So looking at like a, a May delivery timeframe. So you know what, what are we looking at in terms of potential cash prices for May delivery? So if you look at July corn futures, so July 22 corn futures, this morning, we're at about $5.88. I went to the crop basis tool in central Indiana. Uh, I built a, an expectation of basis based on the, uh, the information in the tool of about eight cents over that July futures contract, which would get us to um, a corn cash price for May delivery of $5.96. And again, that's a, a very favorable uh, price opportunity as we look over the next uh, several months. You know, we've had some opportunities for, for cash price sales in the last couple of weeks that have been even above that $6 mark. Uh, so I think, you know, anywhere in that range, you know, we're looking at, at profitable prices. I, I wouldn't want folks to get greedy because, you know, these are, are certainly profitable levels. But as you're looking at maybe what, what can be done here over the next um, couple of months, that might be a, a target that you want to shoot for. Um, Looking forward a little bit to uh, the 2022 crop, so uh, harvest delivery uh, in the fall of this year, we've got current new crop corn futures trading for $5.59 this morning. Uh, again, I went to the crop basis tool uh, and looked at what harvest basis would typically be there in the fall. So we're looking at somewhere probably 20 under uh, December corn futures. So again, that $5.59 plus a 20 under basis would put us at a cash price of about $5.39 for the 2022 crop. Again, Michael's gonna talk about some break-evens later and that's, we're, we're right in there at those, those total cost break-evens um, with those cash price levels. So again, as you're looking forward and thinking about uh, 2022 uh, marketing opportunities, this is just kind of get your mind in that place as we think about what is your break-even and what is the market currently giving us in terms of prices. 
so you with that, me? Jim, let's switch over and, and talk a little bit about what happened on the soybean side. Yeah, let's back up for that previous slide yeah. for just a second, Nathan. So, you know, if you're thinking about those prices that are, you know, for expected May price uh, approaching $6, if you're holding out for a higher price, that's okay. But recognize what you're doing there. You're, you're betting on one of two things and probably a combination of two things. One is some continued weather difficulties in South America, or at least a recognition that we've already had enough weather problems down there to reduce yields even more than what USDA suggested in this most recent report. And the other thing you might be betting on implicitly is perhaps uh, stronger ethanol usage than what USDA is currently forecasting. So, you know, recognize that both of those are not anywhere near certainties. Um, they could happen. And if we continue to see a deterioration in production uh, prospects in South America, we could see prices move higher than this. Uh, but recognize, you know, what the risk is and perhaps think about how much of your remaining sales you want to bet on that prospect and uh, you kind of go from there and i think uh yeah file that price away that expected harvest cash price of 539 we'll revisit that when we get to michael's uh, computations with respect to the crop budget so we'll talk more about that in a few minutes let's go ahead and take a look at soybeans so there were some changes on the soybean side they did raise soybean production a little bit to 4.435 billion bushels. That was just a 10, bill, 10 million uh, bushel increase. Uh, and that came about from a small change in the yield to 51.4 from 51.2 bushels per acre. Uh, but they did reduce uh, harvested acreage uh, a little bit. It says that we, says we reduced, actually, it says, I think we actually increased harvested acreage uh, to 86.3. Let me think about this for a second. So we did, yeah, we did. Drop at 100,000 acres, 86.3 versus 86.4 million acres. Uh, the export forecast did not change. That was the number a lot of people were looking at coming in, wondering whether or not they'd pull that back. Of course, they pulled it back previously uh, on previous reports, so no additional reduction in, in exports. Um, and then that winds up bumping up soybean ending stocks by about 10 million bushels to 350, up from 340. If you look at the production estimate uh, compared to industry expectations coming into the report, it was right smack dab in the middle of industry expectations, so no real surprise there. The change was so small relative to what we had before that just no surprise at all. Um, and then the export numbers, uh, as we mentioned, um, exports have been weak, but USDA did not change their export forecast, but they have pulled it back previously on previous reports, and I think that was the reason we didn't see a change this month. Let's take a look at what's taken place so far with respect to exports. Um, and they are down substantially. So exports and export commitments for the 2021 crop year. Uh, this time last year, we're up over 2 billion bushels. This year, we're at 1.559 billion bushels. Um, export commitments to China are down substantially as well. Um, I think running not quite 30%, I guess 28% below a year ago. Um, so really soft exports so far on the, on the soybean side. Um, and that was why I think some people were expecting USDA to maybe back that number off just a little bit on this report. Uh, going forward, I think what that's really going to hinge on, though, is what takes place in South America. So the ending stocks estimate really didn't change appreciably. I think last month, the ending stocks as a percentage of usage was at about 7.8%. This month, we're at 8%. So uh, below the 10% mark, which is always kind of our thumb rule with respect to tight supplies, but the key there has been the fact that that number was expected to be quite a bit tighter than that earlier in the year and continues to kind of hover uh, not too far below that 10%. <clears throat> On the world stock side, uh, they did tighten just a little bit, not enough to make a big difference. But again, we're going to be watching what takes place in South America very carefully over the next couple of months. So let's go ahead and take a look at the next one. So. The interesting thing is what's going on in both Brazil and Argentina. Um, and a little bit like the corn production, but maybe uh, to some extent more dramatic. Uh, again, look at the longer term trend that's taken place with respect to production in, in uh, Brazil. Uh, 15 years ago, we were roughly at 2 billion bushels. Now, uh, expectations in the ballpark of a little over 5 billion bushels. Um, so USDA did reduce their production number on this report by about 180 million bushels compared to their December forecast. 
And that's really a reflection, I think, primarily of the hot, dry weather that has taken place in southern Brazil. They've also had some problems in, in the northern and central part of Brazil. Uh, it's been the opposite problem up there, been a little too much moisture, uh, but in both cases, hampering production. And so they pulled the numbers back. Um, some of the private estimates are significantly below what USDA is forecasting. So um, there is a significant possibility of seeing that Brazilian soybean production number come down even more than what USDA suggested right now. And of course, any further deterioration in crop conditions in South America will, will be reflected later on. So uh, this is a, a time, time frame when weather conditions in South America are going to be watched very closely. Those of you that are watching the markets every day know there's a couple of weather forecasts that come out every day and the market seems to react to every new forecast, every longer term and intermediate term forecast. So um, this week, the big news really was about the extremely hot weather that was taking place in Argentina. Um, the forecast is that that's going to back off here over the weekend, uh, see some cooler temperatures, maybe see some moisture pickup uh, in that part of Argentina where they grow a fair amount of corn. And so people are going to be watching that very closely as well. And USDA did reduce their uh, Argentine soybean production, but it was a very small one, about 20 million bushels. So it's going to be interesting to see what takes place with respect to weather, uh, but that can go both ways. And I guess, you know, it, it could give us a, a more bullish, optimistic outlook over the next 30 days or so. Um, but it could go the other way if we see a, a dramatic improvement in crop conditions down there. So um, let's think about that a little more, and we'll talk a little about that more with respect to, uh, to risk management a little later. So with that, take it away, Nathan. So uh, taking a look about at some, some storage opportunities here over the next couple of months uh, for soybeans. Again, we have a somewhat similar story uh, in terms of what we saw for corn, but a little bit different in the sense that there is positive carry in the soybean futures market currently. And so you can see that those cash price bids, you know, are appreciating uh, over the next three or four months. Um, again, basis bids that are embedded in those prices uh, aren't appreciating a whole lot, uh, similar to what we saw for corn. But because there is positive carry, we do see some uh, increases in those prices over time to kind of uh, generate a, a return to storage. The problem is that that, that carry is not enough to offset uh, storage costs either in an on-farm or a commercial storage uh, situation. So again, you can see that dark brown line that runs along the bottom there uh, is below those implied break-evens for either the gray line, which is the on-farm storage scenario, or the commercial storage scenario. So again, uh, what you're thinking about here is, okay, you know, uh, I've currently got opportunities to sell uh, soybeans for $13.65 a bushel for delivery here in January or whatever the particular bid would be in your location. Again, this is just an example from one location. Uh, you know, if I'm going to store that grain uh, and, and sell it, say, in April, what do I need to sell it for in order to offset those, those storage and opportunity costs? In the on-farm scenario, right, we're looking at $13.89 to get to April. Uh, and then for the commercial storage scenario, you're looking at almost $14 a bushel. So again, right, there are opportunities to think about some strategies uh, where you might be able to earn some storage returns uh, on those bushels that you have in storage as we look forward. But again, realize, you know, the risks that you're taking in terms of either futures or basis risk over the next several months. And also think about, you know, what are you trying to get out of those bushels in terms of, of, of a price opportunity? And is that feasible given your, your cost structure uh, on those bushels in storage? So just something to think about, again, evaluating what, you, what you're doing with those bushels that are in storage um, and, and what, kind of what sort of strategies you're planning to use or what it is, what kind of price you're looking to get out of those bushels if you're going to hang on to them past uh, where we're at with these $13.65 cash prices. Uh, digging in a little bit deeper and looking at basis on the soybean side. So again, I'm starting out here looking at uh, soybean basis in central Indiana. Uh, and so you can see, again, um, the, the blue line is the historical two-year average soybean basis in central Indiana, the black line being what's happening currently up through this morning. And so again, you know, we've had uh, soybean basis levels that have been below that historical average, a little bit weaker than what we would normally see. Uh, we did see some strengthening basis there in December. Um, and, and again, we're still maybe uh, 10, 15 cents below that historical average, but running that same pattern. And so as you look here in central Indiana, we see that there likely are opportunities for basis, um, soybean basis to continue to appreciate here, uh, you know, through the, the remainder of the spring and maybe early summer months. Um, if we look 
uh, at Southwest Indiana, soybean basis in Southwest Indiana. Again, we started off with weaker basis levels, saw some appreciation there in November and December in soybean basis. And again, that has pulled back here over the last several weeks. Uh, but what you might notice as you look forward on soybean basis there in Southwest Indiana over the next several months is that we don't tend to see quite as much or quite as obvious an appreciation in that soybean basis um, you know, looking in again to those spring and early summer months. And so that would be something to think about as you think about the difference in the basis pattern at those two locations and what that would mean for you depending on kind of where you are uh, in terms of uh, uh, potential storage strategies or what uh, you're doing in terms of uh, forecasting basis for, for your marketing plan uh, here over the remainder of the crop marketing year. And again, as a reminder, the crop basis tool has uh, historical basis data for all of the crop reporting districts in Indiana, as well as Illinois, Ohio, and Michigan. And so you can look at individual basis patterns in, in your local region to kind of figure out uh, information similar to what I'm talking about here. Uh, another thing to kind of compare that to, again, if you think back in that Southwest Indiana uh, basis chart that I just showed, right, we tend to, to try to think of that as being influenced by the river market and what's going on on the export side of things. Uh, again, this is a little further downriver at that West Memphis, Arkansas location. We've seen soybean basis really strengthen here since uh, about November. Uh, and again, you know, there's a lot of things that can influence this in terms of looking at an individual location as opposed to maybe an average of several locations. But as we talked about on the corn side of things, I mean, number one, a lot of the things that are going on in terms of the dynamics of the river can influence this as well as the local supply and demand conditions. We're upriver here in Indiana. Uh, we've had you know, really strong corn and soybean yields this year, and, and further down, their local situation uh, could look a little bit different. So again, closing out uh, discussion of soybean uh, marketing opportunities, I want to look at cash price opportunities, again, for two time frames. First, looking at uh, cash price opportunities or uh, potential cash prices uh, for a May 22 delivery, so here in the next several months. So we've got... Um, July 22 soybeans for trading for $13.95 this morning. Again, I went to the crop basis tool, looked at uh, soybean basis for May in central Indiana, and uh, I built a, an expectation of probably 15 cents over that July contract. That puts us at a cash price of over $14, uh, so $14.07 a bushel for an expected May cash price. So again, as you're looking at you know, marketing opportunities here over the next several months, uh, there are obviously opportunities for favorable prices. Uh, again, there's, there's risk embedded in that. As Jim mentioned on the corn side, right? there's uh, a little bit of a, uh, an implicit or maybe explicit assumption on uh, weather conditions in, in South America and how that's influencing uh, what's going to happen with markets here over the next several months. Uh, the other thing, uh, looking forward a little bit uh, further into the fall of 22, so harvest of the 2022 crop. Uh, we've got new crop soybean futures at $13 a bushel. Uh, I looked at a uh, typical fall basis uh, for soybeans in central Indiana, uh, somewhere around 30 cents under uh, that November soybean futures contract. That puts you at a cash price uh, of about $12.70 uh, for soybeans for fall delivery. Again, we'll compare that number with Michael's break-evens here in a minute and think about kind of where uh, current potential uh, cash prices are relative uh, to those break-even levels um, in terms of uh, cost. So uh, with that, uh, I'll go ahead and uh, shift over to Michael. Michael's going to talk a little bit about cash rents and net farm income, but before he jumps into that, uh, take a look at uh, corn yield map uh, from the report yesterday, and then we had uh, record corn yields in Indiana, isn't that right? That, that's correct. Uh, let's start with the U.S. As Jim indicated, the U.S. is right at trend. So right at the trend line at 177 bushel. However, if you look at this map uh, from Nebraska all the way to Ohio, we were either record or very close to record. Uh, in particular, Indiana, uh, the estimate in December was 189 bushels per acre. They bumped that up to 195 bushel per acre. And so that's definitely a record. That's also about 7% above trend. Uh, we don't have a soybean map to share with you, but uh, soybeans, from the U.S. perspective, were up about 1.5 bushel over the trend. And in Indiana, uh, they were closer to 8 to 9% above trend. And so the key point here is that, that we had a situation in 2021 where the cost 
uh, structure was relatively lower than it is now. Uh, we also had strong prices, obviously. Nathan talked about that, and strong yields. And so when we uh, switch to the next chart here, it's no surprise uh, that the net return to now the re net return to land uh, for this case farm is extremely high uh, compared to previous years, with the possible exception of 2011. And it certainly rivals uh, that that net return to land in in 2011. What's different between the current period we're living in and the, and the period from 7 to 13? Uh, I think what's different is even though 20 and 21 were pretty good, uh, we're not necessarily expecting 22 and 23 uh, and, and onward uh, to be quite as good as 20, uh, 2020 and 2021. This has implications uh, for where cash rents might be heading, uh, not only at 22, but also past that. And so let's talk a little bit about that. Uh, we've done some statistical analysis related to that same chart there, uh, Nathan. We've done some statistical analysis uh, related to the relationship between net re uh, cash rent lag net return to land and lag cash rent and what we found here if you have a hundred dollar increase in net return to land like we did from 20 to 21 that translates into about a 10 percent increase in cash rent which would be in 2022 therefore i've got a i've got an increase a projected increase in 2022 cash rent of about five percent if Unless net return to land uh, goes above 270 uh, from 23 on, we don't expect uh, cash rent to necessarily increase past 22. Uh, in fact, if you look at kind of this from an equilibrium standpoint, your, your equilibrium cash rent, if net, net return to land would stay at 270, uh, your, your equilibrium cash rent would be right at that 270, 260 to 270. And so, and I, so these Michael, increases in cash rent uh, that we saw in 21 and expecting in 22, they may not have as, uh, as, as uh, they may not have legs like they did back in that 2007 to 2013 period. Michael, if I could interrupt for just a second for maybe a, a point of clarification for our viewers and our listeners. If you take on your chart, you've got net return to land for 2020 at 328. And in 21, you had it at 422. So in round numbers, a difference of about 100. Your, if I remember right, your models would suggest 10% of that difference would be reflected in the next year's cash. Do I have that straight? Correct. That's why that's where okay. I come up with that 5% increase in 22. Yeah. So that's yeah. the dip. So just for a little bit of clarity yeah. in terms yeah. of how that works. And then you've got some other things in the model, that, but that was the main driver, right? Yes. Thanks. Uh, looking at this from a uh, net farm income perspective on a per acre basis, uh, I've been telling folks that 2022, at least uh, the way the, where the, the prices are currently at, certainly there's upside as well as downside at 22, a pretty wide band there. But taking kind of that median price using futures price adjusted for basis like Nathan did earlier, uh, looking at the November uh, contract for soybeans and the December contract uh, for, for corn, uh, I, I've been tell, telling people that 2022 is going to be more like 2020. It wasn't a bad year, uh, but it's certainly nothing like uh, 2021. Uh, that's because of the relatively lower prices, but primarily because of the large increase in production costs, which we're going to talk about here. Uh, before we get into the break-evens, uh, we always look at the difference in earnings per acre. And really, the bottom line here is, even though I'm showing a, a, an advantage towards soybeans here, this has been swinging back and forth uh, with, the, with the weather problems down in South America, particularly Brazil. Uh, soybean prices have increased a little uh, uh, faster than, than corn, and so we're seeing an advantage uh, towards soybeans. But this isn't big enough, I don't think, and we're going to talk more about this with the next slide, uh, with a slide coming up here. This is not big enough uh, for people to necessarily move away from a 50-50. Sometimes in Indiana, we have quite a bit of second-year soybeans, particularly uh, as you move towards the Ohio border. I don't think the signal is there necessarily uh, to see a lot of second-year soybeans or continuous corn, uh, for that matter. And so even though corn was very profitable in 21, uh, I, I don't think that's going to uh, necessarily signal that we're going to see quite a bit of continuous corn in Indiana. Um, one thing we did want to talk about, we've been talking about this also uh, you know, in, in, uh, uh, in presentations, is this uh, N-rate calculator. This is out of Ottawa State University, but it's based on data that's coming from Indiana, farm trials in Indiana, uh, that, that uh, agronomists have done over the years. And here I'm looking at northwest and north central Indiana. You can look at other others areas of Indiana as well as other states uh, with this N-rate calculator. And I'm using 530 corn. You can plug in different prices of corn 
and, and, and look at different uh, optimal rates. But what this is clearly showing uh, is, is as you move from a relatively low nitrogen price, like we saw in 2020, 2020 and 2021, it was closer to that 40 cents, you're very close to the production maximizing level of nitrogen, which is right at that 195 to 200 uh, pounds of N. Uh, so you, you obviously are going to be a little bit below the production maximum, but you're using close to the production maximum, 100% of maximum yield. That was a cost of $77 per acre. That was, that was high enough. Uh, as we move to today's situation, we're closer to $0.90. Cents. It was actually $0.91 cents using the Illinois uh, production report that came out yesterday. Uh, that suggests the optimal end rate uh, should be 25 pounds lower uh, than what it was uh, in, in 2020 and 2021 because of that higher nitrogen price that does reduce yield a little bit. But, but again, the reason why uh, it's important to consider reducing that end rate is because of the cost. You look at that right-hand column, and uh, you know, that's a lot of difference there between, uh, uh, you know, between the, the $77 per acre at the $0.40 cents and the $164 uh, if, if nitrogen gets to be a dollar. And so, and so just think about economizing on end. Uh, this is true for other inputs, too. Uh, this is one of those years where you want to ask, do I really need that fungicide application? Do I really need that third herbicide application uh, and so asking questions like that and trying to economize on, on input uses is, is would be a very prudent thing to do with our very high cost structure looking at break evens uh, I think uh, Nathan had a 539 if I remember right that's right at uh, the break even for average productivity soil this would have a, a yield of 182 that's the trend obviously we've been above trend this year and and, and, uh, and broke through trend uh, in Indiana several years uh, you know recently uh, and so and so we have higher trend obviously uh, higher than trend yields obviously the breaking would be lower but using trend yield uh, 546 on average productivity soil on high productivity soil uh, like we have in in, in uh, this part of the state where we're at uh, it's closer to five dollars break even that is uh, up substantially from last year of course it's about a dollar about a dollar increase in break-even price for all those different uh, uh, land productivity categories, or about 23%. Soybeans is a slightly different story because we don't have N. We don't use N, obviously, uh, for soybeans. The, the, uh, the increases are not as big. Uh, they translate into more like 12%, so about half of the increase we're seeing in corn. But nevertheless, 12% is not chicken feed, like we used to like to say in Nebraska. It's not, it, 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 that's, that's so very substantial. Uh, so that's the break-even of 1224 uh, for average productivity, 1131 for high productivity. That, that uh, compares very well uh, for some of the information that Nathan was talking about. I believe it was 1270, Nathan. Uh, and I'm actually using like uh, 1265 in this chart. So let me explain this chart a little bit more because it does get confusing. The green bar is the soybean price. And so just as a comparative purposes, uh, the, the red bars are total cost of production, which includes all cash costs and overhead costs, including their opportunity costs uh, for machinery, ownership, labor, and land. Uh, and, and so, uh, and, and so I, I encourage people to check out our, uh, our, our, our Purdue Cost and Return Guide. We just updated that fairly recently, uh, and you can see where some of these numbers come from. No comments from Jim on that one. I'm a little surprised at that. Good. I must have did a good job of explaining that. Uh, what this chart is, is, is showing, or what this table is showing, is the same as what I was trying to show with the difference in earnings. Uh, corn is competitive with soybeans, you know, unlike, it, unlike situations from 14 to 19 where there's a pretty big advantage uh, towards soybeans. We're not looking at that situation. Uh, and, and so this chart helps show that. Uh, certainly, if you look at uh, 1250 soybeans, they're a little higher than that right now, but if you look at 1250 soybeans and you look at average productivity, uh, you would need 554 for corn. Anything above that would favor corn over, over rotation corn over second year soybeans. Uh, anything over 535 would favor um, you know, uh, uh, rotation corn over second year soybeans. There's, there's, not a different, there's not enough difference between where corn prices are at 
than what I'm illustrating in this chart uh, to, 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 uh, uh, to give us continuous corn for number one. We're not showing that chart, but there's certainly corn prices aren't high enough to incentivize a lot of people to grow continuous corn. But it's also the case uh, that uh, soybean prices are not high enough uh, to see a lot of second year soybeans. And so the bottom line, uh, it looks like a 50-50 rotation is going to work very well. Of course, a lot of producers use a 50-50 rotation, uh, but on the margin, uh, even in Indiana, we do see, we do see sometimes uh, where we have continuous corn. We did back uh, from that 2007 to 2013 period, we did see quite a bit of continuous corn during that period. And then from 2014 to 2019, we saw more second year soybeans. We're not in either one of those situations. We're more, more in the 50-50. Now, now, uh, caveat I always uh, talk about when I, when I illustrate this chart, uh, if we've got some people uh, in the Western Corn Belt, uh, this chart would look different. Uh, you know, for my relatives back in Nebraska, my friends back in Nebraska, uh, it would favor corn. Uh, a little bit more than what this chart is showing. I think it would favor corn also uh, for parts of Iowa. Uh, and so we are going to see some continuous corn in those areas, just like we always do, uh, and probably probably might be a little bit more. Uh, but we'll certainly talk more about that as we get closer to uh, closer to the, the planning perspective reports and, uh, and, and some of those reports. So, Nathan, before you go to that last slide, let's back up for a second. Um, and look at Michael's chart for corn break-even prices by land productivity for corn. Yeah, there we are. So, Michael, this is a really interesting chart. If you look at that blue bar, that's your to cover variable cost. And on the high productivity sows, you've got that at about three dollars a bushel, right? Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, there was there was years not too long ago where where corn price was maybe was three thirty, three forty of the U.S. marketing year average price, and so a three dollar uh, three dollar price to cover variable costs, uh, where fertilizer, seed, uh, and and pesticides would be some of the large ones, but also include interest and repairs and some of those kinds of things, is a very high break even for variable costs. Yeah. So then, if you think about uh, what Nathan was projecting, if you hedged it current futures prices, and we have average basis level in the fall, that was coming up at, in round numbers is about $5.40 a bushel. So that leaves $2.40 to cover the non-variable cost. Um, looking at some of your other budgets, I guess we didn't show this today, but I think you had cash rent in that budget at about a dollar thirty per bushel. Yeah, dollar thirty, dollar so, thirty-five, depending on uh, where you're where you're located in Indiana and the productivity level. So that only leaves about a dollar, right, to cover other costs, right? So to help us out a little bit and think about after you get past cash rent, what other costs do we need to cover? We need to cover labor, which uh, that varies tremendously across farms. That's why it's important to calculate your own break-even prices. We need to cover cover labor on a, on a per-acre basis. That, that can be anywhere from $30 to $100. Uh, so you can kind of do the math there on what that would be per unit. And then the other big one, of course, is machinery ownership. And again, that is another cost uh, that varies tremendously uh, from farm to farm. I've got that in these budgets, about $85 per acre. Uh, but the, but one of the, the points I wanted to make here, and, and you reminded me of that, is cash rent is, is typically the largest cost by far. Uh, we were talking about that dollar thirty, dollar thirty-five per bushel, and then it drops off rather significantly uh, for fertilizer and seed and, and pesticides. This year is so unusual uh, in that fertilizer right now. If you look at the corn budget right now, it's a dollar fifty-five per bushel. So three dollars of that. Uh, uh, you know, it's, uh, to cover variable costs is $3. Over half of that is fertilizer alone uh, this year. And so such a different situation. And fertilizer is the largest cost uh, in, in the budget uh, you know, this year. But uh, uh, hopefully that answers your question. A little bit long-winded there, but hopefully that answers your question in terms of the difference between uh, that blue bar and that red bar. So I think the implication is, uh, even though these prices, by any historical standards, look very attractive, um, and we want to manage that risk pretty aggressively with, with for the 2022 crop, isn't that? Do you agree with that, Michael? I would definitely agree with that, and and I, I think they need to seriously look at, at marketing some of that 22 crop. Uh, you know, we'll talk more about that in, in in upcoming webinars, but I think they need to think about that already, because you know we've got very high break-even prices, and I always think downside risk. You guys know that, but there's certainly a, you certainly could paint a scenario where. 
uh, where the, the prices are lower uh, than that 540. You could paint a scenario where they're higher too, uh, but you could you could paint a scenario where, where, where they're lower for for various reasons, depending, depending on acreage here or acreage uh, acreage across you know, acreage in the world. And so and so I think I think trying to market at least a portion of the 22 crop would be prudent. So now I'm going to turn to Nathan, and Nathan, this kind of gets into some of the research you've done. Uh, in terms of timing, based on history, um, when's a good time to really get, think maybe a little bit more aggressively about those uh, new crop sales? So as you're looking at kind of the seasonality in, in corn and soybean futures, uh, typically, if you look at, you know, from January prior to harvest, you know, through the harvest time frame, looking at those new um, new crop corn and soybean futures contracts, they tend to reach uh, their kind of seasonal peaks uh, right around what we would typically call kind of a summer weather premium. So June, July, maybe even back into May, depending on what you're looking at. Typically corn tends to peak a little bit sooner. So uh, those opportunities for those highest uh, corn prices, maybe May, June, whereas soybeans, we're looking at probably more June, July timeframe. And again, right, you're probably not going to be the, the one that picks the exact right date, but anytime in that time frame, that early summer, May to July, getting into the middle of summer, I think sometimes you hear the thumb rule of Father's Day, right, uh, being a time where you want to make those sales. That's when we tend to see uh, those, those futures markets get to their seasonal highs. Again, I, I suggest even spreading out sales, though, uh, across a, a wider time frame than that, right? You don't want to go all in on just that one date. But those would be the dates where we would typically see uh, those seasonal highs in those corn and soybean uh, new crop futures. And so what that really implies is paying very close attention to these new crop bid offerings and thinking about making some sales. And you know what, what tends to hold people back from making sales, especially early in the season like this, is the concern that they could be passing up what turns out to be a higher price later on. And so if that's one of your worries, and I think for a lot of us, it probably is a worry, um, you know, one of the things to think about is perhaps buying an out-of-the-money call option, uh, perhaps on one of the summer contracts to reduce the cost, and think about doing it that way with, and giving yourself some confidence with respect to if there happens to be a significant rally, maybe because of a, a big shortfall in production in South America, for example, uh, you've got some coverage coming out of that call option. So. It's something to pay close attention to from a seasonal standpoint. Now is not necessarily the time to be jumping too heavy on this, but uh, given the risk out there, it's something to think about. And certainly as we head a little farther into the 2022 season, you'll want to think about it more more carefully. So another another thought there, Jim, what I was thinking about when you were talking about the you know the marketing side of things. Also the, the crop insurance spring price is gonna be pretty high. And so we're going to have a pretty good, pretty good safety net there, uh, really, uh, for, you know, from that, from a crop insurance standpoint. And so that's also something to think about when you're, when you're, when you're uh, dealing with these marketing strategies. Yeah, and we'll be paying close attention to that as the month of February unfolds, as those prices are determined. So I will stay tuned for that. So with Nathan, I'll turn it back to you. All right. So I think that's all we have for uh, our webinar today. Be sure to look uh, for our next webinar. So that'll be on Thursday, February 10th, uh, following the release of USDA's reports uh, on Wednesday the 9th. Uh, and with that, uh, on behalf of my colleagues, Dr. Jim Minner, Dr. Ma Michael Langemeyer, I'm Nathan Thompson. Thanks for joining us.